Thank you, Matt. Um, Matt plays a vital role here. And uh, I think it's just good to say you are appreciated. Thank you for all you do. My name is, <clears throat> excuse me, Ted, if you haven't met me before, and it's my privilege to be part of the bridge. I've been here for a few months now, and uh, it's especially my privilege to be able to uh, speak this morning. So uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for opportunities to gather, to be a part of your church, uh, to serve together, to find relationship, to get wisdom, um, to journey together. And Father, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and, and uh, take each of our hearts uh, from where we are to where you'd have us to be. Lord, would you work uh, in ways that would shock us and in ways that would uh, take us that next step. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> There's a picture up on the screen, uh, redwood trees. I just love redwood trees. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, they are some of, well, they are the largest living thing on earth and uh, the tallest trees in the world. Uh, some of them are 300 feet high, and I was talking to JJ. He called me Friday afternoon, and I he sounded weird on the phone. I said, where are you? He said, well, I'm up in a tree. He, he cuts trees on the side, and, and I said, how high are you? He said, 30 feet, which made my heart skip a beat. And I said, how high will you be? And he said, probably 100 feet by the time I get to where I'm going. And I thought, oh, it reminded me of the redwood trees and, and uh, the height of them. When I lived in California, we would go to a camp called the Alliance Redwoods. And the trees that filled this camp were truly amazing. And you just could look up, as that picture was, you look up, 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 as if they were not going to end. And, and sometimes you couldn't even see the tops, uh, see the end of them. Um, the width of some of these redwood trees, you may have been uh, down in Northern California, some of them are as wide enough uh, actually wide enough to drive your car through them. Now that is a big tree. Now you'd expect that uh, in order to keep these redwood trees standing straight, um, that they would have very deep root systems. But that is not the case. They have a very shallow root system. And the way they remain standing is by the trees, uh, their root systems joining together, and that keeps them upright. And so really, a redwood tree does not grow alone. A redwood tree grows as a forest. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Not redwood trees, but the interlocking system called the church, and the reason we need each other. God has given us the church, uh, the Big C Church, the Universal Church, and the Little C Church, uh, the bridge. God has given us his body on earth. And uh, through Christ, we are bound together in a mysterious way 
into a community uh, so that as we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. It's really quite amazing to think about. Uh, fellowship is a word that we sometimes use to describe this. Fellowship is not a word that I talk about and use daily, uh, but it's a word that we talk about. That it's, it's kind of a family aspect of interacting with one another. And so this morning I'm going to use the word family more than fellowship because that might be something that we are more acquainted with. It's God's, uh, it's a God-given support system. Uh, for the past few weeks, uh, next slide please, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the early church and JJ entitled it The First of Us and we're uh, week three in this. Uh, we can find great insight as we look at the early church and how they did church. And by the way, they didn't do it perfectly, and guess what? Neither do we. But we can learn some from how they did it and uh, then bring it into our own uh, context. So we're going to look at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, which is where we've been camping uh, recently. And let me read that for us. And again, it's up on the screen. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, a beautiful description of what was happening in that early church. Um, one that you might pause and say, boy, I wish I was there. But we're here. And we can find some of that truth and say, how does that impact us and me? The very first community of believers gathered together on a regular basis, it tells us, for worship, for prayer, for study, and for fellowship. Acts 2.44 40, uh, said that all the believers were together. Together. I love that word, together. Because we need to be together. The opposite of together is isolation. And that's not good for any of us. Now, it wasn't easy for the believers of the first century church Times were tough, and you don't have to read very far into the book of Acts, Acts chapter five, 5, to start reading about the persecution. So times were tough, and they were going to get uh, tougher. The early believers were bound together in a fellowship, in a community, because they needed each other, and there was strength in numbers. So there are some things we can learn about the early church 
and the importance of fellowship, the, the importance of the family aspect of church. Now, have you noticed uh, that it isn't easy to follow Christ? It really isn't easy to follow Christ uh, because in life, there's discouragement. In life, there's uh, the temptation to sin. Uh, apathy can easily come in and failure. Uh, materialism is always just right here. Uh, doubts and rejection, unanswered questions. There's a lot of obstacles to our living out faith. But God has not left us alone. God has given us the Holy Spirit. And just pause and think a bit. The Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, and he's not out here, but as Christians, he's in here at the very depths of who we are. That's pretty awesome to think about, isn't it? And God not only gave us himself, the Holy Spirit, but he's given us each other because we need each other. We are family. In uh, Acts 2.42, our text tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, as they were together, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, last week, uh, J.J. talked about the importance of being devoted to God's word, being devoted to the truth, being devoted to instruction. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings because what we believe is important. And knowing why we believe it, it's important. Um, the teaching to which they devoted themselves to was a message about Jesus Christ and the difference he makes in life. Jesus, the divine Son of God, our Savior, he came, he was 100% human while remaining 100% God. He lived a sinless life. He showed us how to live, yet never sinned. He lived selflessly to the point that he said, I haven't come to be served, but I've come to serve. And that life took him to the cross where he paid for the penalty of our sin fully and completely. And on the third, he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, and we just celebrated that. He rose again, and he conquered death, and he conquered your, my sin, and he ascended into heaven on the 40th day, and then the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Those are truths that we need to hang on to. We can't give up. So the apostles' teaching they were devoted to, that was important. And they were also devoted to fellowship, to being together as family. It says there that they were breaking bread together. Sometimes that meant they were remembering Christ uh, through the Lord's table, uh, the, the bread and the cup. But they were also in one another's homes, it tells us, hanging out 
breaking bread together, having meals together. This morning, as I said, we're going to be talking about fellowship, the, the family aspect of the church. And we're going to see that in the church, we should find family, and as family, we will find community, and we will find strength, and we will find ministry, and we will find guidance, and we will find difficulties. That's the church. So first of all, we're going to talk about community. In family, we find community. We don't have any instances, zero. We don't find any instances in the New Testament of the followers of Jesus being encouraged to go it alone, to live out their faith in isolation. Zero occurrences. We see in Acts 2 and throughout the New Testament that the church functioning together was the only way that they were to be whole and fully experience what God had for them. And this fact is true for us. Because none of us are fully complete in ourselves. Now, what does that make you feel like? That might make me feel like, oh no. But when I look at the church, it makes me feel like there is hope. There is hope. Uh, we need each other. We need to be together. We need to be devoted to the fellowship. We need to be devoted to one another as the followers of Christ. We need the big C church, the universal church, and we need the little C church, congregations like the bridge. And this is modeled for us in the early church. Uh, and throughout the history of the church, we see that this is true. Now, the model has not always been lived out perfectly. In fact, if you study church history, it's been quite messy. But that doesn't mean it's not true. An alone Christian is a contradiction to God's design. It's bold, but it's true. In search of scripture and God's design for us being together, we find these type of words throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament in speaking of the church. It says they were put together. They were joined together. They were built together. They were members together. They were heirs together. They were fitted together. They were held together and they will be caught up together, and they will spend eternity together. So there's no alone, there's only together. Now, and in the future, and for all eternity, we are called to live out life together as community. Also in family, we find strength. We find strength. 
we will face all kinds of trials and troubles and tribulations in this life. But as we live out life, God has designed it so that we'll be strengthened and, and supported and encouraged and empowered through encouraging one another's and bringing strength to one another's lives as we live out our lives together in the church. That is God's plan. Now, um, I love King David from the Old Testament. I learn a lot from him because he was flawed, as I am, and by the way, as you are. But he had this heart about him where he was honest about his faults, but he was tenacious in his going after God. And he was so honest. And I'm going to flip over to uh, Psalm 61. If you have your Bibles, you can just flip over there. And we're going to look at the first five verses real, real briefly. It says this. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I just love that statement. Uh, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Um, He is verbalizing life being difficult and God is being his strong place. But did you hear that in verse 5? He said also where he found his strength was in the heritage of those who fear the name of God or those fellow believers. God had strengthened his faith, empowered him through the encouragement of others in lives that were lived before him and that lives were being lived out contemporary to him. The fact of the matter is that God works in our lives through other believers. So during times when we are overwhelmed, uh, and I don't need to go through and tell you how you are overwhelmed in life, we all are. You could write your own book about that one. But when we wonder if God really loves and cares for us, we need one another. We need the church. Through other Christians, we can actually sense the love and care of God. That doesn't mean he's not loving and caring for us, and we do get that assurance through the working of his spirit and the study of his word and the remembering of of what he has done for us, but we also get it through one another, through encouragement. This is why we cannot afford to stand alone. A few years ago, I was able to go with my wife, Carolyn, and some friends to Macedonia. Uh, It's right near Greece, right on the Aegean Sea. 
and it was an amazing trip. And go ahead and show that picture. Uh, they had these ancient aqueducts where they transported their water. And uh, this is, is a picture of something like it was, but see up on the top of the arch, water would travel uh, to where they needed to get it. And so they'd figure out the slope of it and how high to build the arch. But after thousands of years, some of these arches were still standing. The ones we were able to see were not this, but they were completely intact. And the reason was, is their architecture. They were built as an arch. And you know how an arch works? Arches are much more stable than columns because columns are built like this and stand alone. And if you go to some of the parts of the world where there's ancient uh, ruins, you'll see a lot of the columns are no more, don't stand like this, they're like this. But when they restore them, they'll put them like this, but one day they'll be like this again. Arches lean into each other, and that's where they find their strength. The, the rocks, uh, the, the stones, they lean into one another with their weight, and in that they find their stability and their strength. We can take a lesson from that. Because the, the closer we stand and lean into community, the more we will be able to stay erect. Through our lives, and especially in tough times, God desires to use his church to strengthen and empower us he expects us to support one another in the good times and in the bads because we need each other. The next one, in family, we find ministry. In, our, in family, we find ministry. Now, our culture has shaped us into being professional spectators professional spectators. Rather than getting out and exploring, we might have a tendency to turn on the travel channel. Uh, rather than finding a great recipe and creating a nice meal, we might turn on the Food Network. Um, rather than getting out and playing sports and being active, we watch them. Rather than getting to know our neighbors and our community, it's easier uh, to get involved in fake relationships through watching reality TV or through social media. These types of things allow us to sit back and watch from a distance rather than getting involved personally. Strangely, in the midst of our spectatorship, we have come to believe that we're truly part of something by simply watching it. For instance, um, many people have their self-identity wrapped up around their favorite sports team. And if you ask them, tell me something about you, they'll say, I love the Seahawks. Something they really have no participation or value in, except I'm a fan. Sometimes the th same things happen in a church. I was really 
encouraged by Matt when he stood up this morning and say, said, uh, on Thursday mornings at 9 a.m., I, I show up, and I'm here to serve people in conversation, but also to serve the upkeep of the facility. That's really neat. Uh, the tendency that we can fall into is that we can see the church as being a weekly pick-me-up or a good place to make friends. But, you know, the church was never meant to be a spectator sport. You are a unique, personal creation of God. We are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship created to do good works. In fact, I believe that God is already setting up for you and me good things to do that he has uniquely created us to do. This is really good news. God is making a you to be uniquely you, and he is orchestrating things that it's going to take you to do. This is what being part of the body of Christ is all about. Because there's no one here just like you. In the seven billion people living on the face of the earth, there is no one just like you. You are unique in your experience, in your gifts, in your abilities, in your call. You are uniquely you. There has never been another you, and there'll never be another you. You are uniquely you. And God is calling you to be you in serving his church. So uh, where is God calling you to serve? That's a question I want to leave to you this morning. There was an invitation by Matt to act on that this morning. And another way, as you're thinking and praying about this, you can go to the Bridge app or website, and there's a place where it says get involved, and you can uh, hit that, and it'll take you to some opportunities that you can mark. And uh, I just encourage you to start serving and see where God blesses. So another one, in family we find guidance. Uh, the church is crucial in our well-being because as in any family, we need guidance. I need guidance. I need direction. I need correction at times. I need that. Um, Ephesians 3 verse 10 says that God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So that's not only the church talking to the world, but it's the church interacting with one another. We, we, need, we need wisdom. God wants to guide us. Uh, that's one of the ways he uses his church. I need wise counsel. Uh, we, are, we are much 
more apt to be guided in the right way by people who care for us, who know God's word, and who are being led by the Holy Spirit to give you good advice rather than to give you their advice. And there's a, a difference there. The guidance we receive through people that love Jesus is absolutely essential in our welling, well-being, especially when it comes to decisions that we're making between right and wrong. Because there are so many things in the world that are enticing, that we're being told are acceptable, uh, that might even promise great pleasure and success. And they're presented as being harmless when we know they aren't. Because if we act on them, they'll suck the life out of us. We need to stand up and we need to go ask one another on occasion for advice, for help, for wisdom, for prayer. That's family. And here's the last one I have for us this morning. In family, we find difficulties. Being in the church is not without its difficulties and frustrated frustrations. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not asking you to, to raise your hand. But the question is, have you ever been hurt by the church? Not necessarily this one, but by the church. Uh, we can be hurt in the church. Because uh, the church is made up of imperfect people like me. Now listen to this. The mark of family, and this is church family also, the mark of family is not the absence of conflict and difficulties, but the presence of love and desire to reconcile. That's family. That should be the church. In our humanness, we'll all rub others the wrong way, and we will all be rubbed the wrong way. We will hurt, <clears throat> and we will hurt others. Nevertheless, we must not back away from the church. Instead, we need to lean into the church where we can find strengthening, where we can find places of ministry, and where we can find guidance. In our humanness, there are times when we hurt each other, and there's that tendency to pull away and try to go it, go it alone. But we must resist that tendency. Uh, for our own good and for the good of the church. We are family. We are family. We are the family of God. I'd like to close by a, a story that I heard uh, that was told by a missionary. This missionary was a missionary to the Philippines, and the missionary was introducing the game of croquet to the people he was serving. Uh, just so I know if I should explain it more, how many of you know the rules of the game of croquet? Oh, we're about 50% there, so I should 
probably just give you a quick uh, tutorage on this. So the, the game of coquet, you have a mallet and you have a wood ball, and the other contestants have the same. And you start from the start and you go to the finish, but along the way there are wickets, little wire wickets that you hit your ball through. But here's the, the crazy thing about croquet. Also, you try to, on purpose, hit the other person's ball. Because when you do that, you can, you can go and put the, your ball next to their ball, step on your ball really hard so it doesn't move, and then hit the, the ball as hard as you can and try to have their ball go way out of bounds and then you ruin their day. <laughs> so the missionary explained these rules to this, these people and, and as the game progressed, one of the players accidentally hit one of the other players and the missionary said, now's the time you get to do it. You get to knock their ball way out and then you continue your game. And the person just looked at him bewildered, why would I do that? Why would I want to hurt my friend? So he ignored the missionary's advice and went on to play the game. And something peculiar happened as they finished the game. One, the first contestant to finish by hitting the post at the end of the game, who won the game, didn't stop playing the game because they immediately went and started encouraging the others, telling them how they can get through the game. And then another would finish, and, and then the, they would go and encourage the person to get the ball to the, to the stick. And it continued, and at the game, at the end of the game, Instead of along the way, they, people saying, I won, it wasn't until the last person hit that stick that they got so excited and said, we won. We won. You know, that's how the church should be. Not independent and in competition because the Christian life is not an individual sport. We are a team, and we're out to win together in life with God's help and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and, and the encouragement of the church. We look forward to that great day when Jesus is going to return. And there is a day when Jesus is going to return, and when he returns, he's going to make everything right. What a day that will be. And do you know, it will never go wrong again. It will always be right. And on that day, on that day, we'll have the opportunity to shout together, we win. We win. And all this is because Jesus has won. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know every person fully and completely within the sound of my voice and and we can multiply that to every human ever to walk the face of the earth. And in your knowing, you love. And in your love, you care. And in your care, you enable. 
And Father, you know where each of us is right now. And you know what each of us uh, need to hear and act upon. And I'm even thinking of, uh, I think it was JJ's last point last week. Uh, resonance, saying, yeah, I agree, is not enough. We need to act upon it in obedience. So, Holy Spirit, would you uh, give each of us a gift and remind us just of one or two things that we heard that you desire us to act upon? And Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? And uh, Spirit, would you please engage and empower your church to encourage us on that journey towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and worship.